0: Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With Trupanion, take confidence knowing your pets will be covered for new, unexpected accidents or illnesses that come your way. The Trupanion policy will continue to cover conditions with no payout limits, no matter the total cost of a pet's claims. If you're a breeder, you can take advantage of Trupanion's free breeder support program to send your litters home with an exclusive offer that waives waiting periods, so coverage goes into effect immediately. No more worrying about puppies getting into mischief in their new homes. Better yet, signing up is easy. Just follow the link on my partner page. And don't forget to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm super excited, you guys. I have with us today a very dear friend of mine. And a special guest on the podcast, this is Dr. Robin Nelson, retired veterinarian. And Robin and I have been having an ongoing conversation for the better part of 15 years. And this is something that she and I have talked about so much that I wanted to share it with you guys. And that is talking about thyroid disease in our dogs, autoimmune disease in general, but thyroid disease specifically, and why it is so important that we pay attention to it in our breeding programs, because anecdotally, what I know as a person who has an autoimmune disease, and having done the research on that and experienced it in my dogs, is that what is heritable in people and in dogs is not the specific autoimmune disease, thyroid, or in some cases, scleroderma, or what have you, but rather the body's propensity to attack itself. Yes, Robin?
1: Yes, I probably am not comfortable talking generally about immune-mediated disease, but I do think that there are dogs that have thyroid disease, have adrenal gland disease. So yes, and it's totally, absolutely heritable in people, including my family, and obviously in dogs, which I just think it's fabulous. I have been fascinated by OFA's ability to detect autoantibodies since 2000, when I first ran across an article. Right. And I just was reading, and here were German wire hair pointers, and Dr. Refsall from Michigan State was saying, oh, look what we found.
0: And at that time, wire hair pointers were, what, the number two breed for reported
1: they were autoimmune thyroiditis. Mm-hmm. They were at the very, very top. And fortunately, they're not at the top any longer. But I do think Breeders like you, other people who are interested and who recognize, I mean, it's not a life threatening illness or condition, but it is life altering. And there people should at least know about their dog's thyroid function before they breed. And there are so many idiosyncrasies. There are so many things that, I mean, every time I have written an article or done a little bit of research, I have learned because it's changing we give the medication fasted now. It's acceptable. I can remember calling Michigan State and saying, hey, my dog's managed. Can I switch to once a day therapy? And the endocrinologist kind of came unglued and said, no, it's twice daily. Well, now if you have a controlled managed hypothyroid case, you can switch to, you need to monitor it initially, but it is extremely interesting to me. And I enjoy talking about it and I enjoy learning about it still. And I think that is one of the things that makes
0: us great friends is we both like to learn stuff, yeah, <laughs> new stuff all the time. Right. So you were talking about some of the idiosyncrasies. So let's run through it from the very bottom for someone who has no idea what thyroid is or can do to people who are more experienced and Say, okay, I know about the hair loss on the ears, but what's this other thing over here? So how about that? Start with the basic symptomology.
1: Okay. And I'm just going to say the thyroid gland is a little gland on either side of the windpipe in all dogs. And it is behind metabolism. So it affects nerves, organs, the brain. It is in charge of a lot of things. So presentation can vary. When I first graduated, if you didn't have a morbidly obese patient, thyroid didn't cross your mind. It just wasn't a concern. And certainly obesity or weight gain without an explanation, without caloric intake increase. But even alopecia across the nose, unexplained lameness. There are tremendous numbers, chronic skin conditions, chronic ear conditions, vestibular disease. The list is long seizures. I mean, if we have a dog with seizures, we look at thyroid function. Some of them are a stretch like mega esophagus and laryngeal paralysis. There's no proven connection, but because we know that thyroxin is necessary for proper nerve function, some of that's out there. People in general, if their dog has unexplained hair loss, If the area under their collar is bald, rat tail, thankfully, is still a common clinical sign because as a veterinarian, you always look at your patient's skin. You look in the ears, slow heart rate or an arrhythmia. Mm. Those are things that aren't as common, but certainly low thyroxin in a dog can affect the heart rate. So-
0: I think that the important piece of the equation when we're talking about thyroid is how many different bodily systems it impacts.
1: Correct. If your gut feeling is, I've treated my dog's skin appropriately, or I'm not feeding my dog that much food that it should be overweight, or here's my dog that has loved to train, it's young still, why is it all of a sudden selecting to sleep in the sunshine, not firing up to do its job. Those are all subtle and thyroid disease can also mimic all sorts of medical conditions. So trying to confirm that it's thyroid disease, not a medical condition is a whole nother process. And it's easier to just hide your head or not worry about it. And again, it's not life-threatening. So sometimes people can say, well, the dog's a little bit older or It must have tweaked a muscle. I just think if we don't look for it, we don't see it. And it is common. As a practicing veterinarian, it is out there. And there's nothing better than diagnosing it and having your patient respond because it is so treatable. And the majority of the symptoms disappear with synthetic thyroid hormone. And it's inexpensive. It's cheap. And I think I want to come back to that, put a pin in that, because
0: that is what so many breeders say. It's not life-threatening. It's cheap and easy to treat. I don't care. I'm going to breed my dog anyway. Yes. So we're going to come back to that in a minute, but follow up with me on some things, as you and I say all the time, ADR, dogs ain't doing right. Yeah. So how am I going to
1: diagnose thyroid? One thing that's so incredibly important, you don't just set an appointment up for blood work, checking a total T4. You schedule an appointment for your dog with a veterinarian that's going to take the time to look at all the systems, going to look at the ears, look at the skin, have kind of a list of differentials in the doctor's head. And you're going to do lab work, which includes looking for liver disease, kidney disease, underlying conditions. You're going to listen to the heart rate. It's a long process and it involves blood work and a good physical. And do you recommend,
0: you mentioned you're not just looking for T4. So as breeders, we always go and pull blood and send it to MSU to get an OFA thyroid panel. Do you recommend that for anyone who is questioning a thyroid diagnosis?
1: I recommend having a laboratory that Specifically looks because total T4 can change at any hour during the day. It can be affected by so many diseases. It can be affected by medication. Even a dog that has an ear infection and it's getting a little bit of a steroid in its ear canals, that can lower T4. And I read just in reviewing, it talked about how young athletically. Inclined dogs can have lower total T4s. So, if we're trying to figure out how to treat dogs and just base it on total T4, we're going to overtreat, we're going to misdiagnose because when you get down and actually talk about the disease where the autoantibodies destroy the thyroid gland, which is the most common cause, then those autoantibodies can actually elevate the total T4. If you're just looking at T4, you can feasibly have a dog that is hypothyroid, but because of the immune mediated disease, its T4 is in the normal range. Right. So you look at a lab that actively searches for the different numbers that you need to confirm a diagnosis. And you need to make sure that the free T4 is measured by equilibrium dialysis. That will allow that number not to be affected by medication, not to be affected by most other systemic disorders. So there are specific tests that give you results that you can believe. There are also tests like TSH. When I first started practicing, that was what we based, and we did a TSH response test where we measured pre, and then we gave an injection and measured post, and now that's cost prohibitive because of how much the hormone costs. And TSH, for people
0: who aren't familiar, TSH is thyroid-stimulating hormone. Yes. That is part of what's measured in like an MSU test for OFA.
1: Correct. They measure free T4, by equilibrium dialysis. They measure TSH because most hypothyroid dogs have elevated TSH. But there's that small group of 20 to 25 percent that that pituitary gland when it's not getting enough thyroid hormone doesn't produce the tsh so it in itself is not conclusive and then most importantly regarding immune mediated diseases your thyroglobulin autoantibody
0: right the tgaa i can remember way back with my foundation bitch who ps came back equivocal I had done the breeder responsible thing of the 90s, which was to do the in-house test for T3, T4. She was fine. Okay, great. OFA comes out with this new test. I'm so excited. I send it in. She comes back equivocal. But as the veterinarian explained it to me, and maybe you can check me on this or tell me what's changed over time. If the dog was negative for TGAA, thyrogobulin autoimmune antibody, that that meant that whatever was going on with their equivocal status, they were probably not autoimmune mediated.
1: Very correct. The first thing I look for, and if somebody contacts me for a little bit of help regarding interpretation, is the TGAA. And there's a level, there's a a normal- Lighting scale, yeah. Yes, you'd rather not have any. And interestingly, my young dog, I did a panel, a profile, and I used the total T4 as a screening device when all my dogs clinically when I practiced. And if it was in the normal range and the dog didn't show clinical signs, then woohoo! I was fairly certain. But sometimes you got your profile back and normal was one to four, you have a 0.8 or a 0.9. And my own young dog two years ago, had his profile showed 0.6. So I'm like, okay, I've had all the other wire hair pointer disorders. Here we go. Here's another thyroid. So it was what it was. So when I did his profile, his OFA profile, yes, his total T4 was low, but his free T4 was within the normal range. He had zero autoantibodies. And his TSH was normal. So he is OFA normal despite. And so I was excited personally to read how you can't just base your interpretation on total T4 because he certainly is an athletic young dog, but he's also a breed that can have thyroid disease. Right. Absolutely. And I won't do the deep, deep dive into the equivocal
0: status and how it changes and how it doesn't change. And I mean, I have anecdotal experience as you well know. Yes. That my dogs who were equivocal, who were not themselves affected, produced dogs who were in a breeding program. Yes. And so as part of my breeding program, I've removed even equivocal from my, I will breed it. That's where we're going to kind of now take this conversation. We put a pin in that thing earlier about breeding decisions and thyroid.
1: But as far as I know, you also recheck your, I mean, if I can say nothing else, People who get equivocal back, especially, it still surprises me that sometimes people will check thyroid with a dog that's in heat. I just stack the deck in my favor when I'm paying for tests. But first and foremost, an equivocal, and I've had a dog that was equivocal turned normal. And since then, all to. her numbers have been normal. So I guess I want to make sure, I mean, it's an expensive... <laughs> It's an investment, but it's worth it's it. It's an
0: investment.
1: It's yes. worth it. It's worth it because if you get another equivocal, then yes, in that genetic pool, there are genes that in the right combination, woohoo! you could have, and I know of litters that have multiple puppies with
0: thyroid disease. So yeah, I've lived
1: it. Hang
0: tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute happy 2021 from embark join us for the first ever embark canine health summit a free digital conference for breeders this february 15 to 16 2021 Top Canine Experts will feature topics and discussions relevant to breeders of all experience levels. The event will run during Westminster's Fan Appreciation Week in February as part of Embark and the Westminster Kennel Club's commitment to canine genetic health. To register for this free event, go to EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders backslash embark. Dash Canine Dash Health Dash Summit. That's a mouthful, but you can do it. Embarkvet.com breeders. Embark Canine Health Summit. Haven't tested with Embark yet? Get your first Embark for breeders dog DNA test for ninety nine dollars right now. When you use the code TRYEMBARK ninety nine at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. That's try Embark99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. This is where, to me, of course, it gets interesting, is now let's take this and apply it to breeding decisions sure. and the part that's genetic. And so I have, as I mentioned, removed equivocal, even, and some breeders particularly in the past, although I think this sentiment still exists, as I mentioned earlier, consider this to fall into one of the non-life-threatening, easily managed, easily medicated diseases. So when they make breeding decisions, this is one that they might let slide. And so I wonder if you could touch on that based on your extensive experience clinically, as well as just watching what goes on in our breed.
1: Well, I personally, just as a veterinarian, I worry more about the numbers of people that don't test at all. And there are a lot of breeds with thyroid disease, interestingly, and there are people who do test and take their equivocal results. And I will tell you that there's even a range for me looking at equivocal. Equivocal is tough. And I have told people, If you have an equivocal profile and everything else about your dog is so fantastic, you can't hardly stand to think that it won't be in the gene pool, then minimally you need to really do a lot of vertical and horizontal pedigree research on both sides of the pedigree because there are lots of equivocals that go on to produce. And I think there are lots of people who have equivocals that everything else is looking good. They just breed, but at some point, equivocal turns to immune-mediated thyroiditis, and there you go. Right. So we didn't
0: go too deeply into some of the more esoteric symptoms that you can see when you reach the level of completely immune-mediated thyroiditis. And I know one of the things that you and I have talked about in recent years is your correlation to aggression and almost verging on rage type of situations. Can you speak to that?
1: Yes, I'll try. And I know sometimes I miss the mark. You're asking me to talk about things and I'm on a different path. But first of all, yes. (laughs) hypothyroidism, the disease process or the condition is a process that occurs over years. And a dog is not hypothyroid until about 70% of its thyroid gland is destroyed. And so you have a list of numbers that you've used to assess thyroid function. And it's such a gradual process that again, in some instances, technically people should be testing dogs in a breeding program annually, not just taking their woohoo. The two year old result is there isn't a lot of evidence, unfortunately. And I actually reviewed my thyroid paper because I had a person that was dealing with a hypothyroid dog with extreme aggression. And I haven't had a problem with aggression in my dog. I read about it. I knew it existed. I think it's good. It made sense to me to test an aggressive dog for thyroid disease, just like you would test a dog with seizures or some of the other. And I'm just in the process. There isn't anything conclusive. The people at Michigan State will not agree that there is a definite correlation between hypothyroidism and aggression. And a lot of what I read researching, it should be ruled out because I know a fair number of people who have dogs that are aggressive that on thyroid therapy, they respond and they become normal. So it's there. But to really prove it scientifically requires an interpretation of aggression, right? They can't go by the own, you know, so I just think thyroid disease can cause so many problems that I don't understand why you wouldn't want to avoid it. And if you have an inclination that it may be a problem, it's so easy to treat. I just think it should be tested for. Right. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So we've diagnosed it. We've treated, we've tested for it. We've treated it with its little pill. We've made decisions about our breeding program with it, deciding, are we going to incorporate this dog or not? Yeah. And so what sort of final summation, because I know you're not really comfortable with it. And my anecdotal thing of thyroid being the canary in the tunnel. So a dog with thyroid disease, if you breed it, its puppies may or may not get thyroid disease, but they could get some other more serious autoimmune disease that is deeply impactful, life-threatening, and not easily treatable. Any thoughts you want to share on that?
1: You know what? I am gonna probably avoid that. That's okay. Out there. (laughs) That's my own personal stump speech. I get it. (laughs) It is. And I would be more inclined to totally agree with you if I mean think of how many hypothyroid dogs I've seen and treated, and I mean, so many different breeds. And I will tell you that these dogs in my hands have mostly had thyroid disease clinically, and they have responded to therapy and lived a normal lifespan. Mm -hmm. So I don't have hypothyroid dogs that I've treated for Addison's disease.
0: Right. I don't think it's so much that the hypothyroid dog is going to itself get Addison's disease. My concern and my anecdotal interaction with it, as well as my personal Life history. I come from a family that has autoimmune disease. Right. So do I. (laughs) As do you. And so that concept that I didn't inherit the same autoimmune disease as my parents, but I inherited the propensity for my body to attack itself. That piece.
1: Yes. And I don't have any way to conclude that, but I will just tell you from my own personal experience, I had lost a brother to scleroderma, and I was diagnosed with nephrotic syndrome. And until a rheumatologist can prove otherwise, that's immune-mediated, that my kidneys were just saying, hey, Robin, let's leave your skin alone, but let's just attack your kidneys. And treatment was prednisone, which is used for immune-mediated disease. So I am kind of missed the boat with what you were leading up to, but yes, I think that people need to be aware that underlying thyroid disease could be indicative of some challenging conditions affecting other organs.
0: In the like downstream genetic concept is what I'm thinking.
1: Yes. If you continue to, yes.
0: Right. All right. Well, I think that this is such an important topic. As you well know, it has been a stump speech of mine for years and I just now have a microphone, and they let me do it more. So,
1: <laughs> Well, it is such an overwhelming disease. There are so many things to consider. You pay for your profile, and unless you have somebody who is interested or can explain it, I think there are a lot of people out there that test for it that just go, oh, my God, I don't know what this means. It's not good, and just drop it. So I would encourage people to... Consult with their veterinarian or to get more information or to look for other people to talk about it. It's out there. And I just copied the latest OFA where they listed all the different breeds and what the numbers that have been tested. And I found it extremely interesting that there have been 6,000 Rhodesian ridgebacks tested. So either somebody got on the bandwagon and convinced everybody, because I don't see that many ridgebacks in practice. But I am extremely proud of our club because through 2012, there were 385 dogs tested for thyroid disease. And the last number was 1,160. So not everybody posts results. And personally, they decide what they can do with the information, but they are testing for it. And I am so happy. I'm also happy that our chick requirements are two years instead of, because they will issue a number for a test at 12 months. And I think two years, and I periodically will see where people have retested too, which I'm proud of those people who really, if they have a desired sire that's used a lot, I think it's great. They're doing everything they can to, yeah, to prevent it.
0: And you mentioned the one other thing I wanted to just touch on. And I know we've talked on this podcast about this before, but I really want people to hear it again. OFA's database is such an unbelievable resource. And you were talking about vertical pedigrees. And you know, most people maybe are aware that you can do this with hips, but you can do this with any test that OFA offers. It
1: is so simple. I use it all the time. I do too. And (laughs) vertical information is huge. I mean, it's nice to have information on litter mates, but if you go back a couple generations and you look, that's very useful information. It does give you a
0: lot better understanding of the breadth and depth of the pedigree that you're either working with or considering in terms of what's out there. And no lesser light than Jimmy Moses talked about using it for getting hip scores where they need to because the siblings going back are where the information lies and the weight of the pedigree lies.
1: Right. And I will put a plug in too for OFA testing of thyroid because that is where you're going to have a phenotypically normal dog and you're going to be able to pick up a condition. And I'm not talking equivocal. I'm talking about obvious thyroglobulin autoantibodies that suggest and confirm that that dog has immune-mediated disease, then it's a huge tool. Because if you breed a dog with thyroid disease, you're almost guaranteed that it's likely to be. We've
0: talked to a number of reproductive specialists here on the podcast. And one of the things that is talked about is, you know, inbreeding depression and lower litter size. Well, thyroid has some impact on that.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. And I am not, as you know, a breeder. So I don't have any personal experience, but of course it can. It can affect birth weight. There are all sorts of I just think if you're gonna breed a litter of puppies, it's a tremendous amount of information. Yep. Absolutely. It should be part of you doing your job to ensure Due your liver is healthy and your people that purchase a puppy. That's a whole nother subject. Exactly.
0: All right. Well, Robin, thank you so much. As yeah. always, you are a gift to me and now you're a gift to the rest of the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoy talking about thyroid disease and I enjoy learning about it and it's changing and I'd be happy to help anybody that wants a little more information.
0: And we'll put some links in there to some of the OFA sites. So Sounds
1: good.
0: As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, Give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love pure dog talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on pure dog talk.